couple of really important things that were said there. Not that our announcements are are not important ever, but they all are. We don't put them up there if they're not. But one thing I wanted to highlight is that last thing that they said about the prayer for our nation. And um, I just encourage you to, to uh, join us for that. And I don't think we could pray for our nation enough right now. If prayer didn't mean anything, or prayer was just a nice gesture to make us all feel better about the, you know, negative activity, why waste the time? But if prayer actually changes things, then I just encourage you, we are the change agents, and God has given us this beautiful gift of prayer to appeal to the king of all governments and ask him to change things, rearrange things. We are the government beyond the government. And um, the only problem is most of the church doesn't know that or understand that, right? <laughs> Unfortunately. But uh, hopefully you do. Your prayers make a difference in what happens all around you. And it's important. It's not a political thing other than the government of God coming to earth, right? And uh, so we'll be doing that. It's coming up along with the, all, all the other churches and uh, groups that will be praying on that particular day. There's another thing is uh, we're coming up to another round of our classes Classes is probably a bad way to put it <clears throat> in one sense because it sounds too studious and too, um, in some ways, intellectual sometimes when we put it that way. But we have these little gatherings, let's put it that way. And they're meant to not only equip you in specific ways, uh, which I think dream interpretation is pretty cool, but uh, also uh, to welcome you to the family, to help you to make friends, an excuse to make friendships and relationships in the context of learning new things. And so my class, which just meets in here, and we gather for worship at 6, and then uh, we have the classes uh, divide into uh, all the different directions. We'll give you all the instructions you need for that at 6.30. Now, I know that's early for some people. Um, It's difficult for some to get off work and so on, but we wanted to make sure we included families in this. And so we have a whole different program for all the children, junior high and high school, I believe. I don't know if high school is involved on that night, but certainly junior high on Wednesday nights and children. And um, so we just make it a great family event. My particular event that I do here is, is just to meet people and to help them into the basic concepts of our church. Our church is a little weird. The longer you're here, the more you'll realize it's just a little different. <laughs> There's lots of weird stuff. I don't want to go into all of them, get depressed. But <clears throat> most of them, the weirdo part is by design and uh, great. The other part is just plain weakness. For example, I preach too long, stuff like that. But anyway, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> but I think it's pretty good. <clears throat> but hopefully you guys don't fall asleep too much. So I rarely teach about something that um, I'm not, uh, haven't experienced and uh, isn't pa- I'm passionate about, that I'm not passionate about. And this pa- thing that I'm going to talk about today is I'm especially passionate about. Because as I was on my sojourn through the ministry and walking in the early years, and um, the first 10 years was quite a journey. Got married, and uh, before I knew it, I left med school and began to be in the full-time ministry for a decade or so. And that ministry took me, interestingly enough, around the earth. Never dreamed it would do that. It was the most surprising thing, you know. So I began to walk with Jesus and see God in every tribe, tongue, and nation. And um, it was because my mentor, uh, my first mentor, was a missionary, missions guy at heart, and had been exiled basically to America because of Cambodia and, and Vietnam and the destruction that happened there. And while he was here, I met him and saw him in Oklahoma City, became a part of the church staff eventually. And then he began to drag me from one end of this earth to the other. 
and I began to see the amazing diversity and beauty of the body of Christ and then also the nations and all their sorrow and all their pain. And, um, and so through that, uh, eventually I ended up in Hawaii and then I ended up planting a church there and then ended up back here in the California. I say back here because my relatives lived here, especially my grandmother and grandfather, but I never had really lived here until that time. And when I came to California, I ran into this strange movement called the Vineyard. And I didn't know what to think about them. It's pretty funny. I explained it in my class a little bit. They were, I was used to Hebrew hoedown and, and lots of jumping and down and kind of a certain kind of what I call maybe now march music. Then I came to the Vineyard and there's this amazing, creative, beautiful love music love songs to the Lord, and this amazing reaction of the people crying and weeping and uh, just uh, the tenderness of the place. Uh, we, we exerted faith. This place, not, not the vineyard I found, only exerted faith but also love. But the love uh, was sort of foreign to me. It was that I knew for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so I was out to the world for God gave his son for the whole world, which is right and good. I just didn't know really until I landed in the vineyard, that there was um, such a love for me personally. And um, I believe we were a little stretched in our faith at the time, so it made us a little bit more open. But then I ran across John Wimber's office and a man named Eddie Purick and his lovely wife, Janet. And um, they kept communicating, John indirectly and Eddie quite directly, that there was something more for us. There was something in God that uh, they had experienced and the vineyard was experiencing that had to do with the compassion of God. Not only did we have a mission to do, but God wanted to capture our heart. So my heart became a prisoner of love. And that's the title of the message. And I, I say prisoner, it sounds funny, prisoner of love. At the end, I'm going to try to play a wonderful song by Don Potter called Prisoner of Love which explains it probably. Sometimes to explain what you want, it's actually better done in song than word, but I'll give my, do my best to explain a little bit of the word here. And um, so I found through an encounter with the love of God, which I actually always reproduce in our classes. I'm, I'm always so surprised, even, even small classes, big classes, well, however many come, 25, 30 people or 10 people or whatever's in my class. I always, by God's grace have this ability to communicate and then ask God to come and he always comes and before I know it everybody's crying everybody's sort of tender and the Lord touches us to that deepest place just like I got touched uh, largely due to, to Eddie and what Eddie did is he, he's here today I see Eddie and Janet what Eddie helped me to do was uh, put into words what was happening to me because I felt like maybe I had become a nervous wreck or maybe I was like the biggest sissy that ever lived now because I was crying for no apparent reason. So I didn't, well, it's either a nervous breakdown or it's something in God that I've never experienced. Thankfully, it was something in God I never experienced, which made me really probably for the first time in my life cry. You know, I just never, my dad never did. I know, you know, but crying isn't anything in itself. But if it's crying because of yourself or some loss, that'd be one thing. But for no apparent reason, I found myself weeping and um touched by the intimacy of God, uh, and, and so it's wrecked me ever since. And so I want to talk about this a little bit and um, maybe take a few more prisoners with me tonight, or today, this morning. And I'm feeling especially 
sensitive to this because I've been having these waves of love all over again and compassion and feeling mercy, especially as we've been uh, reaching out more and more to the poor and the homeless. Uh, I don't think without inner resource of compassion can you ever work with the homeless or the broken. I think it's just too hard. Uh, I just think there's too many uh, things that happen, too many um, disappointments and too many letdowns. But when love comes, you endure. If love comes, you get patient. When love comes, you begin to identify with other people. It's supernatural, by the way, much more supernatural than I ever believed. That's why it confused me so much, because I was confusing a supernatural impartation with being a big baby. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe you've made that had that problem, man, some of you. Not any of you, of course, but just in case there might be one or two of you out there. So I want to just start from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. And I want to just, something struck me as I read this passage the other day. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. <laughs> he called himself a prisoner of Christ. And if you look down at verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And so there was a working that was going on in him. He realized and that working that was coming inside of him sent them out to the nations. And that's what love does. It works on you on the inside and then sends you out in a very unique way. It has this way of making you a prisoner of love so it sifts out all the stupid motives and the dumb motives that people even do when trying to help someone sometimes or do missions or whatever. It just casts out the religious spirit altogether and just leaves you reduced to, you know, I would just like to help because I just want to love people. I want to encourage them. I, I feel bad for them, right? And it's a little more deep than that as I'll get into, but I want to read verse 14, one of the most phenomenal passages in the whole Bible, Ephesians 3:14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right? So many of us know that part, experience that part. That's why we're here today. That's the beginning step through faith. We didn't know all we needed to know, but we in faith stepped out and took a chance on Jesus, trusted him as our Lord and Savior, and then we found out that he was alive, and he began to minister to us. We began to grow in the Bible. But notice what else he says here in the next verse. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. What? Rooted and established in love. This is where the prisoner of love part comes may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Is that even possible? Evidently it is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And as I look on my past and I look at my present, whenever the love comes, and last time I can tell you when I got a full dose of this was... Um, when Mike Lopez was up here singing and we were uh, doing the Passover thing, and the love of uh, and when you have these experiences with the love of God, you know when there's a heightened sense of God's love in the room. And this the love just filled on Good Friday night here in this auditorium about 125 of us, which I thought was interesting. About 120, and just the love of God just descended. And he sang four or five songs just up here by himself, strumming the guitar. And I'm telling you, God was here. 
in a way that I haven't felt until this morning. <laughs> we always do when we worship, but I'm just saying it was really unusual because we didn't have the normal band and just him. But And then I began to hear something else. When I first washed up on the shore of the vineyard, it was different music than I was used to. Frankly, I could, maybe I don't want to demean it, but it was sort of like I was used to more like Hebrew hoedown, you know? And I loved all those sort of songs. And then this, this is the day, this is the day. So it was great music. I loved every bit of it. And it was always the same. Dun, 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 dun. Then we all get all lowered up and excited and jump around, right? So when I got to the vineyard, I, I heard the worship. And it was the most beautiful music I've ever heard. But it was affecting me in a different way. First of all, I didn't know what to do with it. Because it was all these songs were unique to me. I'd never heard them. I'd, I'd go to dozen different churches and always hear the same song. This is different, completely. Going to find out many of them have been written in the church. And, and that's how Vineyard Music was created. And as I began to hear these songs, I, at first I didn't know what to do, you know. But then as I just sort of settled in, uh, the music and the lyrics were so beautiful, it just began to melt me on the inside. I began to feel this love. I began to feel these tears well up for why, you know. And I've been looking around and Maybe, you know, 2,000 other people in the same exact place, you know. Nobody paying attention to anybody else. No one looking at the ceiling or around. They're just engaged in the Lord, right? Well, the thing is, they were grasping with the Lord's people how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And they were getting in touch with this love that surpasses knowledge. And they were being filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. And um, so even... Just getting back for a moment to that worship that we were doing on Good Friday night. You'll hear in it the sound of the Father's love. It's our unique heritage as vineyard people. Not just ours, there's other movements as well, but we sort of are good at that. Just uh, when you hear the music, it, it, um, it's a, I call it melt music. It just sort of gets you to your heart, right? And um, I think that's really, really important to know about our movement. Wherever you go in the churches, whenever you hear most churches in all America that I've been in, it's always the same. It's music like other people play, but then there's a certain sound to it. And I've come to recognize that it's the sound of the Father's love, the sound of God wooing us into a place of, of grace and intimacy. And um, so as I began to get deeper in the vineyard and I got really deep, having encountered God in a major way, thanks to Eddie and, and John Wimber, and I sort of got born into this thing. And I, I just think that I, I just like to teach about this a little bit today because I find myself, as we move into uh, ministering to the homeless and to the most broken uh, people around who have found us in abundance, it seems, I find myself uh, being a prisoner of love. They aren't the people that I thought I would choose with regard to the ministry, but they're the people that now I want to love more than ever. They're the people that the Father God's interested in. And the only way you can minister effectively to them is if having compassion. If you don't have any compassion your heart, all it is is a religious exercise. And you'll burn out really fast. Because people are ornery. <laughs> they're not in their right mind. And there's a good deal of mental illness now in our uh, families and uh, churches that 
maybe I don't think even exist a few years ago. I don't know why that is. If you know why that is, let me know, because I think you'll just solve a whole bunch of problems, but I'm not sure. Maybe some of it has to do with increased drugs, maybe, but it's deeper than that. Something's gone on, something maybe in our families, I'm not sure, but all I know is that there's a a lot of broken people right now. And so in the midst of dealing with lots of broken people, how many of you know we've all been broken, so you sort of minister out of those resources. But as you do that, you can get very tired. You can also get very bitter, angry, and uh, just want to walk away from anyone that's broken or hurt after a while because broken people aren't nice generally. They bite, and they're in pain. and They're just trying to get out of the pain somehow, right? So I found myself a prisoner of love. Like, even in some ways... Against my will, finding love, making a way for me to include people in my life and include people in this church life, right? I say prisoner in the sense of sometimes I feel like I'm swimming upstream, but it's okay because I feel the Lord propelling me. Sometimes I look at myself and go, what in the world? How are we doing that? I never dreamed we would do this, this, and this, but here we are, housing the homeless, feeding the poor, and dealing with infinite broken families, broken households, broken marriages. And only the compassion of God will keep you going, keep you working toward that, keep you blessing people. In a sense, you have to be a prisoner of love yourself, or you can't give it away, right? You can't give it away. And I just say something else. To become a prisoner of love, you can't get well. You won't get well. Now, if the Father was being stingy about His love, then that would be one thing. But the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a love verse. God so loved, He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus just sort of out there for the world to crash and burn on if they don't receive Him as their Lord and Savior and go to hell. Well, that's part of the equation, but that's not why he came. He came so that you would go to heaven and even beyond that. So you would know who he was. You would fellowship in the most intimate place with him. You would know the love that he lives in. He reconciled you by his blood on the cross, died and resurrected, so that you would have that privilege of knowing the most high God, who he really is, the one who created the entire universe, the one that owns everything, controls everything, this one who has the one Jesus sent in the flesh, broken for us, allowed him to be crucified on a cross because of his great love for us. And that's not where it stops. It stops then he wants you to have the same love, right? So there's two mysterious passages I just read. One's Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 3. I'm going to read this again. I'm just going to see if I... Did I read this already? Did I read these two passages? I can't remember if I did. No, I didn't. Okay, I'm getting to them then. Ephesians 3... 1 to 7, he says, Ephesians uh, 3, 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He calls himself the prisoner of Christ. <laughs> Why did he say himself the prisoner of Christ? Because he kept going into places that he didn't think he was going to go and doing things he never thought he would do. This is the great apostle Paul. This is the one that was hunting down Jews for pretending to know Jesus. <laughs> and he found himself a prisoner of love. 
he found himself a prisoner going not only to Jews, but also then to Gentiles whom he hated, <laughs> right? So he calls himself prisoner of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. In verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And he's talking about the power that worked in him on the inside that turned him into a ter- from a terrorist into going after and blessing and healing the very people he had persecuted. Look at verse 14, one of the most unusual passages in the whole Bible. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives this name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, you can do an inside-out change. The spirit changes you from the inside out so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But not just dwell in your hearts through faith, through that inner thing called faith. But look at this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's no more dramatic passage in all the Bible than that one right there. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do a measure more than we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So this glorious experience, he, he's praying. He says, I want you to grasp, because this is what turned me into, from a terrorist into someone that loves the Gentiles and every other person that I once thought was away from God forever. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. So he found through the Spirit... He got a heart of faith, and not only a heart of faith and power, but a heart of love. And he began to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ on the inside, and began to know it in this place that surpasses all knowledge about God and fills us to the brim of the experience of God and who He really is. What a dramatic passage of Scripture this is. And this love, as you begin to taste it, makes you this prisoner, right? Even Jesus was a prisoner of love. John 5:19. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so it shall be amazed. So I used to be try, try to be led by the Spirit just by getting, getting on the right perfect prophetic wavelength, you know, do I eat at McDonald's today, or do I go over here, do I do that, or do I do this? I about wore myself out going, trying to be, I went prophetic on the Lord, and it made me pathetic. I was just crazy, you know. No peace whatsoever, just trying to be led by the Holy Spirit, right? Didn't know, you know. I'm trying, trying to hear God's voice, and the prophetic things came around the church a little bit, and I'd be like, oh, there's a, then all these people hearing God's voice, and I'm trying to hear God's voice, and boy, I'd got into such minutia, I drove myself nuts. Do you know a prophecy can drive you nuts, especially if you're being tried to be led by the Spirit? I knew there had to be a better way. Finally, I found it. It's in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He'll show Him even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. For the Father loves the Son. In other words, Jesus got His guidance because God would love Him. The Father would love Him. And in the midst of that loving, He would point out, well, here's that one, and here's this one. Go over there. I have found love is my greatest, gives me the greatest ability to walk in the Spirit. Because when I feel compassion on the inside, my eyes open and I begin to see all kinds of things that I couldn't see before. 
and I began to move toward them because I love them, because I have compassion for them, not because they're another mark you know, on my belt, my prophetic belt, so to speak, right? Compassion speaks. And so now it's my main guide. Even as we're trying to figure out what to do with people on a day-to-day basis as they wash up on our shore, compassion gives you the ability to respond to heaven because you're, you know you're responding in the right way. And so sometimes people wash up on our shore and we'll just say, uh, it's not time for me to deal with you in this particular way yet. I'll take a step back. And other times I just jump right onto it, right? And I have the power now and the discernment to know what to do, the right time and procedure with a secured heart, right? Because dealing with broken people, whether they're in your own family or whatever, can make you feel really guilty, especially if you've tried and you tried and you tried and you tried, you know, and it's just not working out very well. And then you don't know what to do. What do you do with that son or daughter? It just rebels and rebels and you try and try that child or that friend that's a drug addict. What do you do? You run out of resources in your own in a hurry. So you need some severe guidance. Anybody ever needed severe guidance? I'll tell you where it's at because the answers aren't written in very many books. They're only written in the heart. God loves you and he shows you what he does. The father loves the son and shows him what he's doing. So when I take a step back from my problems, reconnect with the love of God, or just connect with the love of God right in the middle of it, I'm secure. I'm clear. I don't worry about doing too much or too little. I just do what I think God's trying to tell me to do. But I can't hear his voice without love. So I tried it the other way. I about drove myself crazy. But this way, as you experience more and more of the Father's love, you find out that he talks that he instructs. He doesn't necessarily give you specific words. You just see a situation and you know how the Lord would want to deal with that. And it's just not that I have a perfect line to heaven, but I've learned to trust my compassion. So when the compassion wells up, I generally know, well, you're on. <laughs> and they don't get insecure about it. So whatever I do from that point, it's probably going to work out. Because no matter what, and then I have this patience especially when people wash up on our shores or there's problems or maybe in the family, when I feel the love of God for one of my kids or for the situation, I go, okay, just a matter of time before I get the right formula where I'm supposed to know what I'm supposed to do. It's just when I get in that hard place where I'm angry or really fearful or whatever, it robs you of the voice of God, right? So one of the most pleasant things I discovered about experiencing God's love is becoming a prisoner of love is... For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. I found I could hear God's voice. And I used to get used to hear, try to hear God's voice in one specific way, but now I'm open to everything. I recognize all kinds of things. All kinds of things speak to me. Nature, <laughs> a person's appearance, what I see on them, a dream in the night, strange things, but all of it has a certain security when it's in love because one of the most Difficult things about hearing God's voice is to be fearful and insecure. That's why people do false prophecy and give false prophecy. That's why there's been a fair amount of it spoken in the body of Christ. And I just got to give you some bad news. Because people are responding out of a place of fear. And they're responding. Next thing is, well, nothing like a bunch of fearful people wanting to hear something to also raise money from. I'm sorry to say that, but there's a lot of that going on. There is. 
When you're in the love of the Father, you think differently. You don't talk the same way. You don't react the same way. You don't see things the same way. Right? First of all, you're less afraid. And when you're less afraid, you don't panic. When you don't panic, you actually begin to hear things clearly. And you hear the truth more clearly. So one thing I just encourage all of you in this time that's very, very fearful is you've got to be careful how you listen to things. I think the one thing we need to do is we need to listen to God more than anybody, but how do I listen to God, you know? Well, love takes care of that. He starts talking to you. He may not give you all the information about cosmic things, but it'll help you in your world. And every once in a while, he'll slip something in about the whole world, right? For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. That's what God did. That's what Jesus did on earth. He just went where the Father went. When he felt compassion, he stopped, right? When he felt like he needed to say something, he, st- he corrected, but he did it in the right way. He, he just was walking with the Father, and the Father was making it easy for him. For the Father loves the Son, you sons, you daughters, and shows him what he's doing. The Gentile Cornelius prayed regularly and gave generously to those in need. His prayers and gifts to the poor rose to heaven as a memorial offering to God despite a massive cultural and religious divide. Now this is talking about the very first Gentile before anybody knew that Gentiles were supposed to come to Christ. Right? And so here's this Gentile, and for whatever reason, he says he gave generously to those who needs his prayers and gifts to the poor rose to heaven as a moral offering to God. And so God thought, you know, here's this Gentile doing things, having compassion on people. I think I'll introduce him to my son. <laughs> At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout in God for and he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to, before God. Then he tells him, You know, go get Peter. Send to this certain house. Peter's there. Send this guy named Peter. Go, go, go. Send your guys to him. Travel down a few miles down the road and bring him back. But notice what was rising. Prayers and gifts to... He'd been loving the poor, the broken. You guys, we don't have to love the poor and the broken. You get to. Because on the other side of that is the most wonderful voice of God you've ever heard. In your ear, clearly talking to you, not only about the poor and the broken, but about your own life. Our church has the privilege of doing this. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. If done out of love, if it's done out of a religious spirit, well, woe to us, because then we got all the pain of that, but no guidance, no leading, no sense of God with us, no sense of Emmanuel, right? So this guy, Cornelius, the first Gentile believer, this is the kind of guy he was, he prayed regularly and he gave generously to those in need, and it rose to heaven before he even knew anything about God, like an offering. And God said, well, I think I better inform him a little bit more in detail of who I am, right? And when Peter came and he began to preach, Peter didn't know what to think, began to preach, the Spirit of God fell. So Peter, there was no mistake. These people are Christians. The Spirit of God fell. They began to speak in tongues, began to act like they did when the Spirit fell, like the Jews did. And he knew. 
And I just wonder what Peter was thinking in his mind. Oh my gosh, how are they going to handle this at headquarters? This is incredible. You've got to be kidding me. The Gentiles are in. Jesus was blowing their mind with the Samaritans, but he didn't know this was coming. He didn't see this coming. He saw Jesus be nice to a couple of people, but he didn't know this was coming. Oh my gosh. So in comes Peter. You know the rest of the story, right? Peter preaches to them and God speaks to Peter and they get saved and it's the, the beginning of all of us. Most of us here are Jew, uh, Gentiles, some maybe Jewish believers, I don't know, maybe a handful, but most of us are Gentiles. We're all here because love fell down, because God, gospel fell here, because this guy was loving people and then the voice of God came and he too became a prisoner of love, right? Your outline once, he considered carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. You know, Peter could respond to these Jews, I mean to these Gentiles, because he had the love of God in his heart. That's the only thing that got him past it, right? The love of God, Jesus, exploded in the Gentile world because Peter properly understood the freedom and the love of the Holy Spirit. He had already encountered God. It made him free then to receive this different expression. And I just want to say, with regard to walking in the Spirit, which is what we do a lot, that's why I love to come to my class because I, I like to introduce you to these things, these concepts, and teach you, and but also get to know you personally. But and many of you in the class, one of the first things I do is try to get you to a place where you know the love of the Father, that you understand it in the Scriptures, and then you experience that because... Peter had that experience at headquarters, right? But to understand this thing, new thing that was happening, he had to be rooted and grounded in love. God will always surprise you. Matter of fact, one of the biggest reasons why I have a class is to just teach you about how surprised you might get if you hang around here very long. Because <laughs> he's always surprising people in love with God. And you find yourself on the other side of the world or on the other side of your street. Michelle and I had a little encounter this morning. She's driving along and there was an old man laying on the sidewalk, right? And he had fallen. And Michelle stopped and called me and we got him and put him in the car, you know, and got him home and got him in his house and everything. It's okay. But, but those experiences are, you know, it made me a little late. It's okay. I do. I'll be late any time for something like that. You can break in on my schedule any time. Oh, man, did I say that? <laughs> you can break in on my schedule any time if it has something to do with a love appointment, a divine love appointment. Matter of fact, people like, when they have trouble, generally are not on schedule with your schedule. They generally come at the most inappropriate, weird times, strange ways. And that's why it's so important uh, to be a prisoner of love because you know, okay, this is inconvenient, but I'm a prisoner. <laughs> I got to go where the compassion's going here. Okay, fine. So, Roman number two, we love because he first loved us. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you, for Christ's love compels us. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 13 to 14. <laughs> For God's love, Christ's love, compels us. The love of God is in us and compelling us is the most powerful force in the world. 
God gives us supernatural eyes for others to love them as the Father does. We look past their skin, color, their sins, their situation in life, and we just see a child of God. And I'm going to tell you right here, I have no romantic illusions about helping people that are weak. I've been at this long time, been taken advantage of in every possible way, spent countless hours doing things that I thought were a waste of time. But if compassion's in it and I waste my time, I'm in. It's just that when I don't feel God in it, I don't have much to offer. But if compassion's in it, I'm all right. It's never a waste of time, right? And I think the more compassion you get, the more you find you're not wasting your time at all. You can see actually what God's doing, and it begins to shape circumstances around you. It begins to give you divine appointments. And, uh, and some of those divine appointments don't have a conclusion, and it's okay, right? So one of the big mistakes I made when we were first trying to have more compassion with people is always trying to bring a situation to a certain conclusion in about 10 minutes, right? <laughs> it took them 10 years to get to that place, and you're trying to fix it in five, right? Most of that's out of convenience for you, right? But sometimes people are just in process, and sometimes you'll do something for someone and never see him again. And that's okay. You leave it to the next guy to take off or, you know, take up where you left off. And I, I settled that one too. So now I stopped worried a long time ago about a person on the side of the street and if I give them 10 bucks, they're going to go buy booze with it. If I'm on, I'm on. I give them $50, $20, doesn't matter. That's just my assignment. If I'm supposed to do more, I'll stay. If not, sometimes I just do that. I used to get all hung up about that, you know, seeing people passed out, you know, at the 7-Eleven or on the side of the road thinking, oh, my gosh, if I get more money, they're just going to buy more booze. I forgot. I stopped doing that. God, is this mine or not? Yep. You're kidding. Okay, great. Here we go. You know, and then some of those people I found that I helped just keep coming back. You know, I see them again. And then again, and they get in this pattern, and pretty soon they get drawn into our broader web, and then they get well. They begin to move toward Jesus. Some of them, I don't know. But you know, if you're going to err on any side, just err on compassion. Obviously, the person hasn't had anything to eat for a while, and they're not doing well. And if it's a drug addiction, well, uh, it's going to take a while. But let's just live in the moment. And if you can be part of their further moment, then God will help you with that. Matter of fact, I also got past feeling guilty a lot, you know, because I couldn't do more. I just live in the moment. I just do what I'm supposed to do now. And if I'm doing more, more, God will help me to do more. And it's okay. I think that's the only way that you can even deal with your own children sometimes. Sometimes your own children get in such a difficult, faraway place, you know, and there's just a limit to what you can do. And then you have to leave them in the Lord's oversight, you know. But when love calls you and stirs you, sometimes you have to go beyond the call of duty. Sometimes it's quite an investment. But if love's not stirring, then I'm not stirring. <laughs> I don't always read that right. Sometimes I read it wrong, then God says, you know what, you messed that one. You probably better go back and fix that, right? <laughs> sorry, sorry, you know. <laughs> but... I think if you live enough in the love of God, you begin to get secure. When you begin to get secure, 
They begin to hear God's voice better. When you begin to hear God's voice better, you become more effective. Securing the heart is the really big issue, for the Father loves His Son and shows Him all that He's doing. So being a prisoner of love isn't so bad, because God shows you what He wants to do. You're not in that empty space. Well, now I've helped that person. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Did I do enough? Do I not do enough? No, I did what I was supposed to do right there. And if there's more to be done, I'll know about that too. See, I think this is the only way as a community that we can live in the world and be effective. Otherwise, we either wear ourselves out or feel guilty and bludgeon ourselves or not do enough. Or not do enough, right? We need to let the love of God just totally wake us up, right? For the love, Christ's love is what should compel us, right? And that in us is the most compelling force in the whole world. God gives us supernatural eyes for us to love them as the Father does. We look past their sins, past their race, past their station of life. The grace of God enables us to forgive even when we've been wronged. When we forgive, the love of God comes on us all again. And this is a very powerful passage in Matthew uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 14 to 15. And uh, one of the most, I think one of the most powerful passages in the whole, whole of Scripture, right? For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a very scary passage. That's a warning light. <laughs> Let them go. Let the condemnation, the irritation, even your closest relatives or closest friends, people have done you in, betrayed you. Let it go. Because if you forgive them, God will forgive you. And if He forgives you, what that means is He'll enable you to think clearly, to see clearly what your part or not part is in their life, right? So it's really important. There's a patience and discernment that only the Father's love can bring. And I love this verse so much, John 5:20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. He sends us to the most unlikely people. So one really dangerous thing you can do as you begin to walk down this road is do this a little bit more often. <laughs> Just say, Lord, show me what you're doing today <laughs> and mean it. Ooh. Be careful with that one. Be careful with that one. Because God is so gracious to even help you how to learn how to do that because at first this flood of things will come. And you have all these doubts. Of yours. But I just now, as I've learned to live in the compassion of God and feel His compassion, I sort of begun to develop the ability to learn when I'm on and when I'm not. So that's important to know because not everybody's mine. Not everybody can be mine to help, right? And as a pastor of a church like this, people think that is my ability to help everybody, right? <laughs> people call on me. It's a, I get the strangest of phone calls. I'm thinking, people call me to help fix this situation over here. I'm thinking, really? Me? Why don't you take care of it? Oh, I don't know, you know. It's the strangest thing. That's one of the most uh, perplexing things about the ministry. You're like the short order cook. Everybody thinks they get, you know, just right in the middle of it, and then you're going to run off right and take care of it, right? Right? Well, first of all, it's dumb to think that way because, frankly, most pastors aren't that smart. We're really not that smart. I mean, honestly, we just, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> you know. And that's some really doozy things that come. But I'm thinking I should be omnipotent or omniscient. I should know about these things of upper finance or these things about, you know, a divorce or whatever, you know. Oh, my gosh, man. People give us way too much credit. I don't know why that is. 
Or maybe could it be just maybe they just don't want to deal with it themselves, right? So if all of us could get to this place for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does, even when the most unlikely people come, we're okay with that. But it's got to be mine. It's got to be what I'm supposed to do. And the only way I'll know that is if I'm feeling loved by God and secure by Him, right? Otherwise, my insecurities will drive me this way and that way, this way and that way, and I'll never feel effective. I'll never feel like a, a, a thing, right? And then most importantly, it cuts me off from the voice of God. Because the most important thing about ministering in the world and in your own family is being led by the Spirit. Hearing God's voice to do something, right? So look at Roman number three. The Scriptures have many examples of compelling, audacious love. The love of God will cause you to act and think in ways you never thought possible. And I love this verse. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've been alluding to it all along, but let me just read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us. So when God's love compels you, go do it. And you know that by necessarily having all the answers to the cross, you just feel like you should get involved and you just go on a journey. I call it a, you know, a faith journey. You just go on a journey. <laughs> Compelled by, just go on this trip. And I'll tell you what, I've taken some crazy trips lately. Wow, man. Learned more than I want to know about jail, more than I want to know about drug addiction, more than I want to know about mental illness, more than I ever wanted to know about a whole bunch of things. But God's love compels us. And that's the key verse, for God's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. My the love of God compels us. This is so, so incredibly important, that verse for me, right? It's the most powerful force in the world. God gives us these supernatural eyes, right? And we just begin to live into this compelling, audacious love. It'll cause you to act and think in ways you never thought you would, right? At the heart of everything is this. We love. Why? Because He first loved us. Passion helps us to recognize and respond to cries for mercy that make us stop and do the impossible. Look at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had gone, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind in the crowd and touched his cloak. Now at that moment when she did that, she defiled him according to Jewish law which, of course, the priest would have probably freaked out about, almost any Jewish person would have freaked out about, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed, right? Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, because something came out of him. Somebody touched him in faith, and power and love came out of him at the same time. That's what I want. That's what I want. Someone to touch me, 
come across me, and in faith, I'm able to release both power and love. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? The disciples thinking, what in the world are you talking about? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it because he... Something came out of him. The power came. The compassion came out. He, he knew, but he didn't know yet. He hadn't caught up with it. He was so living in that space that something had drawn on him, and it was called faith. And that faith, that, isn't it nice to know? You, you, you believe in God. You trust him. You, you release faith, and something's drawn out of God, right out of him, right? Wow. So powerful for us just even to read these verses. She had been suffered a great deal among the care of many doctors, spent all she had instead of getting better and grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. That's kind of interesting. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples, yet you ask, who touched me? See, wow, isn't that powerful? Everybody's touching him, but she touched him in a unique way. You can have a whole church of people touching God or trying to touch God, but, but someone can, in faith, in need, and has faith, somebody looking for Jesus has this unique thing, unique way of pulling something out of God. Because he already loves us, right? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Wow. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing, they said, they said, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in there where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So he went into this synagogue leader's house. Synagogue leaders have been persecuting the heck out of him, right? But he goes. And then they told him she's dead and leave, but he just kept on going. And compassion drove him to the place of the impossible. I think I'll try the impossible any day, even raising people from the dead, if I feel that kind of compassion. Faith and compassion go together, but when faith and compassion do go together, it's more powerful than if you just had faith. When faith and compassion are there, it doesn't really matter how the outcome is. It's not about you anyway. You just did the right thing, and you know it. Even if it costs you time and energy, it's okay, as long as compassion's there, right? The worship of God will help you rise beyond your prison cell. And I just want to just read this from Paul and um, this experience that he had in Acts chapter uh, 16, verses 22 to 
24. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. They, they were thrown into jail, put into prison, and flogged, and all that, right? But listen to this, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were sing, praising and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before his Paul and Silas. He then asked, he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What inaugurated this? Paul's in a rough spot, and what is he doing? He's worshiping and singing anyway. Can I just say something to you, you prisoners of love? When you worship, give your attention to God, don't be surprised if God takes care of your problems while you're worshiping. I don't think you can worship God enough. You put your time and energy into worshiping God and be with the house of God. And you let God deal with your stuff. It's just part of it. Some people want God to deal with his stuff, but they don't want anything to do with him. And this whole amazing worship experience will help you out of your prison cells, right? Because worship makes you a prisoner of God. And all the other prisons that this world tries to put on you, whether it's physical, mental, and emotional, will be taken care of because Jesus is really good at setting captives free, right? And what was it that happened? They rose above it. Worship. They worshiped the Lord. They worshiped God in a very difficult space. And then their prison fell apart, right? I just encourage you, come to church. Find places to worship. This isn't just a have-to situation. This is Liberation Day. You're paying to God while he's paying, to, okay, paying attention to your stuff. You don't come to church because you're supposed to. You come to church to worship the Most High God. You come because you love him. You become because it's fun. And in this place, while you're in this place, you're causing all kinds of supernatural things because in this gathering and in the, every time we worship, wherever it is, wherever we find ourselves, the presence of God comes. And where the presence of God comes, who knows what's going to happen? You never know. That's why coming to church is one of the most amazing things. When you stop coming to church in the gathering of saints, you just stop expecting that God could do a miracle with you. Because when two or three gather together, there he is in their midst. You want to know where God is on a Sunday? Where two or three people are gathered there and worshiping. It could be in a house. It could be in this building. It could be anywhere. But whatever you do, find the presence of God. Because he's also not only a God of power, but love. The love of God will cause you to give secretly, but heaven always notices. I want to just read this, these two passages. Heaven always notices. This is Mark chapter 12 passage, which I know many of you know about. But listen to this. You don't have to give. You get to give <laughs> of your time, your energy, your money. 
She has sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. That's interesting. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents, calling his disciples to them, hey, guys, you got to see this. you got to see this. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Is God a connoisseur of stuff like that? Yes, he is. He sees everything. He notices the motive of everything. She put in everything, and we don't have any mention of him giving her some money or trying to fix the problem. He already knew the problem was fixed the moment she stepped into that. Give and what? Have she given to you? What looked like a horrible situation of poverty and giving everything she had in and live on it. And Jesus didn't interrupt you. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Don't put that in there. I'll just, I'll help you over here. No. He understood the economy of God. That was her way out. He would have taken away her way out. That worship of God with her money was the way out of her financial problem. That was the way out. And Jesus said, wow, she only put in a few coins, but she put in so much more money than all the rest of these wealthy people. She put in out of her need. There's no record of him giving her any money, right? But heaven notices these things. Heaven notices these things. And that's the most important thing. Matthew 6, 1 to 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give it to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in heaven will what? Reward you. These lifestyles, they look like they're going out, giving, sowing, all these things. They are the way on with God. And compassion and giving are the best things you can do for any situation in your life, whether it's money or giving, your time or whatever it is you're giving. Give and it shall be given to you. But in compassion, there's just something about it because there's a freedom that God opens up and an expectancy because when you give in compassion or love, it's not hard then to expect something about your own need. It's just when you get lost and lonely and you feel like you're all alone and you don't have any way out or any way to do it. You always have a way out with God. You always have a way out with God. Just love Him. Be generous. Even when you only have a couple of copper coins, just sow toward the Lord, in the Lord. You will find abundance and grace. God is a good God. God is a generous God. And you are more a part of the answer to your own problem than you could ever know. That's one thing that I have to build back into people that are not doing well. I just got to help them. And one of our biggest challenges is to get them to see you are a part of the answer. Not you alone. If it was just you, forget it. You and Jesus alone are part of the answer. You and Jesus alone are part of the answer. You can get past this. You can do this. You and Jesus are enough, right? And when a person experiences the love and the presence of God, they become a prisoner of love. They begin to understand that. They begin to see it. They settle down. Something settles them. And they begin to step out. And they begin to believe again, right? Those who believe in God's love have a hard time taking no for an answer. 
they approach God with a shameless audacity. You know why? Because they're prisoners of love. That's why a prisoner of love is the best best prayer warrior you'll ever meet. Because he knows, she knows, they have access to God. Even when he plays hard to get. And he does play hard to get. And why that is, I'm not entirely sure. (laughs) I just know he does. But a person that loves God doesn't give up. He teaches them to pray. Luke chapter 11. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, all the different dimensions. But then he says this. Suppose one of you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. You ever felt like that with God? The door is locked and he isn't in the mood to give me anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, God will because of friendship, but even, listen to this, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on, the the verb tense is, keep on asking, it'll be given to you, keep on seeking, you'll find, keep on knocking, the door will be open. For everyone who asks, how how many would that be? Everyone or just one? Everybody. Everybody. Just Janice? Or everybody, right? Everybody. She was nodding off a little bit there. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Now she's going to get me back because sometimes she's there. All right. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. How many is that? That's, that would be everyone. But look what it gets down to. Here's what it gets down to. Back to Father. Back to relationship. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And of course, the presence of God's everything, right? Give himself whatever need it is. Whether it's a healing need, a financial need, whatever it is, right? Wow. He gets it down to just the simple relationship of being in love with God and knowing that God's in love with you. And there's a shameless audacity to this, by the way. You learn it. You learn the shameless audacity. You don't give up very easy, especially if you know that it's something that God wants or something that, you know, God freely gives that that it's for us. It's actually a, a promise in the scriptures in some way or another, right? So look at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. So he's going to the Gentile territory, right? So this woman had a daughter. She was possessed by an impure spirit. She was a Greek Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia. So I think most of us understand the Gentile Jewish problem there. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He baited her. He was saying, you know, I'm not supposed to go to the Gentiles yet. This gospel's not here yet. It's not time. But she pulled the timing of the Lord into her own life. It wasn't time yet. You ever felt like it wasn't time yet or God was saying it wasn't time yet? But, but something about her persistence, which actually is right in the heart of everybody that loves God and knows God. It's like my youngest. <laughs> my youngest son, you know. Probably spoiled him a little bit. The little guy. He's the best asker of any of my kids, man. This woman knew, understood where she was at. She said, but Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And dogs was a word for the Gentiles. She was a Gentile, right? It was, she said, well, 
He didn't say, no, he just, it's not time. Oh, oh, or was it time? For such a reply, I can't resist. <laughs> I just can't resist. <laughs> the demons left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. What is that? Just catch this. What is it about persistence? What is it about family that presses you in? As long as you have a good father, a good mother, presses, or a, a good person that you know, someone that's loving, you know, you press, especially one that's supposed to take care of your needs. But this is the heavenly father. Sometimes he plays hard to get. Sometimes all we have between us and a miracle is our tenacity. But it's not uninformed tenacity. Not uninformed tenacity. It's right here in the scripture, right? Centurion in Matthew chapter 8, almost done. I love these stories. These, are, these stories I just live off of. They're so meaningful to me. Matthew chapter 8. Verses 5 to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, no, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. And he was well aware of Jewish laws and stuff. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. I, I, I don't want to put you in this place. I know who, you have great authority. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to this, my, my, my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those fellows following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out into darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He, he says, Go, it will be done just as you believe. So this guy dared to believe even though he wasn't qualified. Jews and Gentiles hated each other, right? There was this divide there. And this man, because of his shameless audacity, crossed the divide into Jesus' space, and Jesus was glad for it. Sometimes we think we're crossing too far, we're stepping too far into his space, but oh man, I'm telling you what, your persistence with a loving God, because you know he's a loving God, and because you know who he is, your persistence will always be rewarded by sheer tenacity, by just sheer coming and coming and coming. God says, look, I'm approachable. One of my favorite stories is 2 Kings chapter 20. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I think all of us, no, not all of us, but maybe m many of us have had experience with this thing, this adventure called family. <laughs> family, right? We've been kids and we have kids, right? And as I end this, I, want, I just can't help but I just want to make sure I just read this story because I think it's so amazing. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you're going to die and you won't recover. Now, uh, this prophet Isaiah, like, <laughs> he's pretty close to God. Like, whole sections of the scripture are written by him. The word of God. And everything he said came to pass. So, man, he gets this word from the prophet, you think you're done, right? But look what happened. I mean, anybody got a word from a prophet like this. You're done, right? Look what it said. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. No, wait, sorry, sorry. Verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion, have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So he gets a word from a major prophet he's going to die, and he looks like he's done. He feels like he's going to die. And he says, You know what, God? 
It's just not fair. It's not fair. Look, I've walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion. It's not right. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people. This is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you'll go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And by the way, stuff you haven't asked for, I'm also going to deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now, what in the world's going on here? The word of the Lord comes and says, you're going to die, right? Then this guy says, it's not fair. And he persists in prayer. It's not fair. God, it's not fair. Will the Lord of the whole earth not do right? Can, do we have that kind of place with God sometimes? We, can we enter into that space? Just the whole shameless audacity. We see this all through the scriptures of widows and people pursuing God, pursuing God, pursuing God. They don't give up. Even when a major word comes and they just know better. There's just something's got to be more about this. And he just goes before the Lord. And then, all right, I changed my mind. What? What? Ah. Something about the vulnerability of God, right? There's just something about the vulnerability of God that we see in this passage. The mysteriousness of God in a way. But it all comes down to we want to be prisoners of love. We want to be prisoners of love. And we have that relationship with God. All kinds of things happen. How many times have even you change your mind with your kids, or they've changed their mind with you, whatever, all kinds of areas of asking and seeking and knocking go on in families, right? But the amazing thing is we're a part of this grand thing called the family of God. It makes us in this unique place. We are blood-bought with the blood of Jesus, giving us uncanny, unusual, unbelievable access to the Father. And the Father might play hard to get sometimes, but not too hard to get. It's hard for Him to resist. You see all these people, a person who shouldn't have ever been touching Him, touches Him. She should have been defiled. That's it. Time out. You're on time out. You know. Right? You should... You shouldn't be touching me. I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. You're touching me. I'm the Son of God. You're touching me. But that touch had faith in it. God recognized it. God felt it. Oh, my goodness. This mystery of being a prisoner of love, this mystery of walking with God. We're all, in a sense, destined to be prisoners of love. If you don't mind, I'd like to play that little tape that I have. Just this, uh, Could you do that little soundtrack? and? It's one of my favorite guys because he has a compassionate God in his music. I'd like you just to stand up for a moment. I want you to listen to this song and ask God to touch you. And I'm going to call for our prayer team and we're going to pray for you. I'm finally free The 
chains on my feet have fallen from me as I escape these prison walls. I see a man hanging on a cross. He paid the cost. Now I'm a prisoner. I can't explain this mystery. I'm a Trying to be free, and I'm a prisoner. I'm just as caught as I ever was, but I'm a prisoner.
I'm just as caught as I ever was, but I'm a prisoner. like to stay in this space. And uh, Lord, I'm asking you to capture our heart today. I enlist all of you, I declare all of you prisoners of love. And as such, there's unique space you have with God for the access to your problems, but you are unique also because you have the authority to help other people get out of prison. And so, prisoner of love means I not only experience the love of God, but also I have the compassion of God to set somebody else free. And uh, I just felt like uh, some of us maybe would like to respond to this. Maybe we've been far away from the Lord. Maybe we've been a little religious. Or maybe just totally distracted. And we just want to find God's love again today as we're worshiping. And some of us would just like to pray for others and encourage them a little bit because we know what it's like to be in prison and we want to help. So if any of our ministry team would like to come and help, be Jesus' hands and feet and eyes. I don't know why he left it this way exactly, but it's a very wise, wonderful thing. We are called the body of Christ for a reason. The disciples saw those thousands of people up there and were complaining to Jesus there was not enough food. He said, you give them something to eat. So I think there's some people that will be up here in the front, including me and anybody else who would like to come and help. Maybe you just need something to eat. Maybe, God, you need to become a prisoner of love all over again. You just need to just sit in your seat or come up here and just receive from the Lord. I release the love of the Father over this congregation. May God touch you as you're worshiping or as you come forward for prayer. May God touch you with his love. May God assure you you're going to be all right. May God give you some wisdom maybe even as you're out there in the congregation or maybe you come up to the front for a specific reason. Lord, I just ask you to make us here in the front ministers of compassion. You put this body together somehow or another that we are the body of Christ. So we actually minister to others, pe- other people. Just like Jesus' hands, we are like his hands and his feet. Of course, you can get anything you need from God directly. My deepest prayer for any of you would be to touch God's heart, even while we're worshiping here. Let him fill you again with what you're missing with love. And then he'll take you and 
help you release somebody else as his prisoner of love. <laughs> he'll make you captive, then he'll set you loose to help others be free. And you can only do it in the love and compassion of Jesus. He'll give you the faith you need, the power you need. Lord, I declare this church the Father's house. In this Father's house, may the love of God pour out. And I pray, God, you'd capture us with your love and your power and your grace, and you'd heal us and deliver us. In Jesus' mighty name. Stay as long as you want. Come to the front if you like. Worship. May the Lord help you to encounter this morning before you leave the Father's love.